You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, church. As I already shared before, my name is Pastor Dan. I'm the youth pastor here, and today we're going to be talking about finding rest for your souls, which you might be wondering, why is the youth pastor talking about rest? He has all-nighters that he stays up with and calls that fun with the teenagers. He has four kids under the age of eight. What does he know about rest? I'm wondering the same thing. But this is something that God had laid on my heart to share with you. And on top of it, I have arguments with with God. Don't say you don't do it because you do it too. Okay? But he put this word in my heart to share with you. and, And I go, but I'm a cybert. We don't rest well. Literally, my whole family has this problem of just not being able to sit still. We constantly are working, building, fixing, or fishing. So that's like four main things we do. As I have these conversations with God and, and him just continuing to bring them up over and over again, I'm thinking, what a better time. As we're heading into Thanksgiving season, as we're heading into the Christmas season, how important it is for us to find rest. And we'll talk about that here this morning. But I thought a good example and illustration would be found in this story. I built, again, not resting, I built for my kids a play place in our backyard three years ago. And it's got swings, it's got slides, it's got forts, it's got sandbox, it's got everything a kid could ever want in a backyard, swing set, play set, whatever. And I strategically placed it in a corner of our yard where it was near a tree so that I could hang a hammock from my swing set to the tree and enjoy rest. I don't get much rest, though, when you're in a hammock and your kids are in the yard swinging because they always want pushed. But on top of that, I also found I couldn't find much rest because I didn't know this, but I had placed the play set right over top of the like, original owner's like, garbage dump. So those of you who know, before the landfill and troop, Everyone took their stuff to the backyard, burned it, smashed it, and buried it. Well, amazingly enough, glass has this amazing effect to just keep coming out of the dirt. And so I can't rest because every time I go out and let my kids out to play, I'm picking up shards of glass and having to throw it away, trying to make sure that their shoes are on. Keep your shoes on. You know how hard it is to have kids keep their shoes on at a play place with a sandbox and glass all around? It's hard. So finally, I got to the point, I'm like, I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm burning it all down. I'm just kidding. No. I I went and I dug up all the ground around it that was bringing up glass. Dug it up, removed it, threw it over the fence, you know, where my kids are. In context, there's not a neighbor on that side. (laughs) I sound like a really great neighbor right now. You have all the glass dirt. And I went and found dirt within my yard and sod that didn't have glass in it, and I moved it from that place and put it under there. And now I can have rest. My kids can play, and I don't have to worry about glass entering their feet or them getting hurt that way. So it's just, ah, right? And so, but I had realized also three years ago, personally, this is a good illustration for this, I was experiencing glass protruding out of my own heart that was affecting me and affecting people that come into my life. I was was experiencing experiencing stress, anxiety, 
anger, frustration, depression, all these things that I, I just kept powering through it. We had just gone through COVID and we had to put on a strong face and had to get, you know, pushed through with all the mandates and everything going on, try to do ministry and try to, you know, minister to teenagers that are just hurting and just pushing through and just trying so hard, but then realizing just how tired and empty I was and realizing that all of these things that were coming up in my own life and they were hurting other people. And the church in its, in its wisdom had given us time as pastors away to take a sabbatical, to take some time away to just be re-energized. So I spent three days out in the cabin um, up at Rock Mountain, and I spent time up there reading my Bible, praying, and I took a book with me that Dana had given to me called Soul Rest by Curtis Zachary, which is a great book, by the way, if you're looking for more information about this kind of rest. But I want to share what I learned with you and why it's so important for our lives today. But before we do that, I want us to take some time to pray and ask for God's blessing over his word and the study of it. God, as we enter into uh, this topic of rest, Lord, I think we all realize that this is an area that we can, we can learn and that we can grow in. So God, I pray that you would reach into our hearts, Lord, that you would remove the glass the things that are protruding out of us that are not of you. And God, that we would find rest in our souls today. And I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you would, you can take your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verse 28 through 30. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you can grab the pew Bible there in front of you and turn to page 816. And you will find that passage there. But before we get into that passage, I want to talk about the problem of rest. I've shared my problems with rest. I can't sit still. I always have projects going. God is working on me and changing me. And I think all of us have problems with rest, if we're honest with ourselves. If we look at the commercials that we experience on a day-to-day basis, the ads that we see, we see restful vacations, And we want more of them. We see comfort foods that make us just feel better with less mess, less dishes, you know, right? And these different tools that we can use to make life so much less stressful. We see self-care routines, even workouts and all these other things. And none of these things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. But when those things are the thing that is where we get our rest, is where we're missing out on the best rest possible. Because when we look at it, we are all searching for rest. We're all searching to be refilled, rejuvenated, re-energized in these categories, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We're looking for areas that we can be rejuvenated and have life again and be able to keep going. And we think this is a new thing, but it's not. Because King Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. He says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I love this because this creates such an interesting picture of what humanity does. Is that they're chasing after the wind. Have you ever seen somebody chase after the wind? I've watched my kids chase after leaves falling and the being blown around. It's something like that, but it's even less tangible. You can't grab wind. 
Because once you grabbed it, it's, it's gone. You can't get it. And it's kind of like me replacing that dirt-filled glass or glass in the dirt and around my play place with other dirt filled with just as much glass. It's just endless. And it's maddening. But thankfully, I want to share with you hope. Hope today that comes from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, because Jesus presents the promise of rest for our souls. And this isn't just a simple promise. This isn't simple rest. This isn't just a surface type of rest, but this is a rest that encompasses physical life rest. It encompasses emotional rest, spiritual rest. So with that, let's read today's passage and talk about it. Okay, Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that a promise to hold on to? And then he goes on, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here we see this promise of rest, and he does so by sharing these four principles, these four practical ways that we can practice rest. And I want to share them with you today. And the first one is to look up in worship to a holy God. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Rest is not found in a day. Rest is not found in a ritual or religion or routine, not in a diet, not in a mindset, not in me time. Rest is in coming to Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, the sustainer, and the only savior of the world. This is what Jesus says in in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the purpose to why Jesus came, so that we could experience This life, this kind of life. I think of King Solomon and what he said. Everything done under the sun is vanity. It's meaningless. It's worthless. It's like chasing after the wind. Jesus is saying everyone who comes to the sun experiences victory, experiences rest, experiences satisfaction, the abundant life that I have for them. In Psalms 34, it says this. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, we're all getting ready for some Thanksgiving, right? We're all getting ready for some great food. My in-laws are in this weekend, so we, we smoked a turkey and had all the fixings, you know, pre-Thanksgiving. It was, a, it was amazing, really good. I think of that verse coming to this. Taste and see. Come to the table. Experience how great this rest is and how impactful it is for your life. Come to me, all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden. Those of you who are worn out, chasing the wind, chasing satisfaction and other things, peace. And in this context, he's actually talking about religious oppression. Because the religious leaders of that day had set taken the fourth commandment of keep the Sabbath day holy to an unhealthy level. They had established all of these laws above God's law to make it really difficult to enjoy God. All in 
for a good reason, but I mean, they did it, and it was, it was actually quite harmful for the people. They had restrictions on how far you could walk on the Sabbath. They had restrictions on how far you could even lean into somebody's window, a neighbor's window, to reach in and grab something. You weren't even allowed to grab grain and, and do this, to be able to separate the chaff from the grain so that you could have a snack to eat. You couldn't even do that. This is what Jesus says to the spiritual leaders of that day. In Matthew 12, verse 8, he says, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is Jesus saying that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the God of rest. So for all of you who are tired and burnt out, anxious, weak, oppressed, depressed, and needy, he's saying, come to me. Lift up your head, your weary head, and find rest. Hebrews 12.2 says this. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, this is encouraging to me because here we are told to look to Jesus, look up at Jesus. And what do we see? We see that he went to the cross. He came down and died in our place so that we could experience forgiveness, so we could experience the gospel, good news, because sin that we have in our life that we can't escape separates us from God. And he came down to pay that price. And now is seated at the right hand of God, saying that it is done. See, rest is wrapped up in Jesus, and Jesus is wrapped up in the gospel. So you cannot have God's rest without first experiencing the gospel. If you have never looked up to Jesus and accepted that free gift of salvation, today can be that day. But this is a choice that you have to make. Because what we see is when Jesus is on the cross, he said this phrase, right? He's dying in our place for our sins, and he says this. He says, it is finished. That word, tetelestai. And what's interesting is they've actually found historical documents with this word on it, tetelestai. But it's on a receipt of purchase, and they, they, they believe it to mean paid in full. So Jesus on the cross, it is finished, is also saying, the sins of all who ask for my forgiveness are indeed paid in full. And when we think about that, the finished work of Christ at the cross, that all of our sins, past, present, and future, can be paid in full, that is that is restful, that is satisfying, that is relieving to be able to take that breath and know that we can have that restored relationship with God. If you've never done that, it's, it's really quite simple. It's admitting that you're a sinner. Any thought, any word, any deed that you've done against God that's not of God's character, that is condemnable. And we're caused to separate from God forever in a place called hell. But if we believe that we are a sinner and believe that Jesus died in our place, on the cross, and rose again on the third day, we can be saved just by calling on Jesus and asking him to save us. So you can do that right now in your seat, or you can come and talk to me or one of the other pastors or one of your friends. We would love to talk with you more about what being a Christian and having a relationship with Jesus looks like. But for many of us, we've done this a long time ago, but we've forgotten something. We've forgotten to continually look up 
and remember that it is finished. Amen? We burden ourselves with the constant sins that we are experiencing, but we, we haven't stopped to look up and remember the finished work of Christ. We get bored with the gospel, and that's when we lose rest. We get bored with the gospel. Something else Jesus says, very important, look up and worship to a holy God, but then also slow down to see his finished work, to see the finished work of God. He says in the beginning of of 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, we don't really live in an agricultural society with farms and, and fields and stuff like that. Some of you do, which is great. You might understand this terminology, but a yoke is this wooden tool, this device that would go and spread between two farm animals, typically like an oxen or donkeys or something that could pull. And this wooden device would harness the power of the two and allow the farmer to be able to pull plows or wagons or whatever needed to do whatever he needed on the farm, right? That's what this yoke would do. But the thing is, we also don't understand is that the farmer, the wise farmer, would never put two young oxen next to each other because they would pull at each other and they would try and race each other. There's like two seventh grade boys, okay? Like running away from each other. And try, you tell two seventh grade boys to run straight, it's hilarious. You know, together, it doesn't work. But it's like that. The, the farmer would take a wiser, stronger ox that knows what needs to be done and he would place him right next to this greenhorn, this rookie. And they would walk side by side and the younger ox would try and maybe pull away, but then would realize that's not productive and then learn to walk with the wise ox. Here Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I wonder if Jesus is thinking about Psalm 4610 when he's sharing this to the people. He says, be still. (laughs) Oh, this is hard. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. See, so many times we just get wrapped up with our to-do list, don't we? We get wrapped up with what we need to get done for the day for God. You know, all good things. <laughs> and we, we get wrapped up with our, you know, even our leisure time. We get sucked into our phones. And we get sucked into just trying to, to appease ourselves for the time. And, and there's all of these things. Endless amounts of shows that you can watch. Endless amounts of things that we could get sucked into. But what if we did something really crazy? What if we intentionally intentionally chose to slow down? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this. This quote I wanted to share with you. He says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. Our society and our culture runs. 100 miles an hour. They don't know God. We know God. Should we look like them? Should we allow ourselves the time to get interrupted by God? I believe we should. To learn from God. At the same time, to be slothful does not honor God. See, keeping the Sabbath, keeping it holy, is leaning into the gospel looking up at a holy God, worshiping him much like we're doing today, but then also to intentionally slow down, to allow God to speak to us, to learn from him. 
not just about him, but learn from him. Something else I learned about a yoke is that it's not just a tool, but it's also a term that they would use to describe a path, a way that somebody walks. This is interesting because Jeremiah 6, 16 says this. It says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. It says right there, find rest for your souls. There's this path. There's this yoke that we're supposed to choose. But then look what Israel decided. They said, but they said, we will not walk in it. And what you know about the time and Jeremiah's time is dealing with a nation that is dealing with the consequences of not following God, of not learning from God. So when we come to stop and slow down, we need to look up, we need to slow down, because that's when we are able to stop and see that it's not what our hands are able to do. It's what God's hands have already accomplished. So again, when we take time to slow down, we need to make it holy. We need to remember Christ and what he's done for us and choose to learn from him and walk in him. So, so far we talked about looking up, slowing down, but then Jesus talks about this as well. He says, lean in, drawing near to Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, the latter part of it, he says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is from the book Soul Rest, and he says this. He says, when we set aside time with Jesus, it allows us to pay attention to the places in our heart that are dry. Three years ago, I found myself very dry, and I found that taking time to rest. And I've been trying to implement some of these principles in my life, and it's been a long process. But one of the things that I've decided to do on on Sundays after church, after we get home and eat and my kids go down for a nap, because they still do that, um, I used to do that, but I'd still wake up with a headache, and I'd still not feel rested. But now I, I, I go out into the woods, and I take my dog Duke with me, and we go out for a walk. This is my dog, Duke. It's his best day because he has a lot of energy. And so, like, for us to go out in the woods, and I, we don't take hiking trails. Like, we find public land, and we just find our own way and run around, and it's a lot of fun. And I spend time talking to God. I spend time slowing down, leaning into God, talking to him about what's on my heart the Sunday, you know, what I experienced, what he's teaching me. And it's been really refreshing. I'm not saying this is for everybody. I'm not saying that this is what everyone wants to do. But in doing this, I've experienced a lot of rest, actually. Um, But two weeks ago, I want to share a story with you quickly. I had taken Duke out for a walk, and and we had gone a little bit further than we have gone before. And and so now we're a mile and a half back, you know, away from my car in the middle of nowhere mountain over in Archibald, Jessup area. And... I stop to mark um, a tree rub, because I'm a hunter, and this huge buck has been seen in that area, and I call him Bruce. Anyway, I stop and mark it on my phone, and I'm like, all right, right here, Bruce sighting. All right, cool. I look up, and Duke is gone. And I'm like, 
that was fast. I know he's a fast dog, but typically what he'll do is he'll run out 50 feet, you know, from me and circle around me and just keep running in circles, you know, and he'll stay right by me pretty much everywhere I go in the woods, but he just took off. I don't know if he was done. I don't know if he saw something, but he's never chased anything before. And I start hollering for him. I start calling him as loud as I can. I try clapping my hands. I try whistling. And now all the fear is starting to, like, set in. Like, I just lost my best friend with four legs. Like, I just, he just ran. He's gone. And I'm like, how am I supposed to tell my kids that Duke is gone? Like, we're, we're a mile and a half from any population, like, any people. And so, like, then I was like, maybe it's, like, homeward bound. Maybe he'll end up home, you know? I'm like, <laughs> but, like, no, he's not. He has no idea. And it's really starting to set in, and it's like, it felt like forever, and I kept calling, and I even did the secret trick. In my house, if you find Duke, you count down from five, four, three, because he's so excited that there's a race going on. He's going to be there. Problem is, he never came. Even after I called those, those times, and I'm calling for him, calling for him, and he still wouldn't come. And I'm like, God, you need to bring this dog back. It wasn't long after I started talking to God that the dog came back. But this story goes beyond that. Because later that day, we had life group. And after life group, everyone's hanging around, having a good time and enjoying ourselves. And I was joking with my daughter, Abigail, and I, and I said something that was hurtful. That I was saying in a joking manner, but the other guy from life group that I was talking to at the time, he said, well, that's messed up. I'm like, I kind of laughed it off, because like, I think he knows I'm joking because my daughter knows I'm joking. But then later that night, God leaned in. He leaned in to me a little bit. It's like, Dan, you remember what you read this morning? Literally, kid you not, can't make this up. Read James chapter 3. James chapter 3 talks about, we can tame all of these animals, but no one can tame the tongue. I thought I'd had a tame dog. I thought I had a trained dog that knew how to stay with me in the woods. And he ran off much like my tongue. And Jesus leaned into me and lovingly showed me that just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that you're above making mistakes. And that next morning, I apologized to my daughter, Abby. Got to share with her the gospel, basically, again. Like, Daddy needs Jesus. <laughs> Daddy messes up. Will you forgive me? She did. Talked to my life group um, guy that I was talking with that confronted me, and I thanked him for that, and, you know, asked for his forgiveness, and he was really awesome and gracious and forgiving. But I also realized that when I was taking time to lean into God, he was, he was willing to lean into me, love on me. He, see, Jesus loves us just the way we are, but he also loves us too much to leave us there, right? He wants to change us. He wants to continue to mold us into his image and stop hurting ourselves. James chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Sometimes we get this backwards. We think in order to come to God, we have to get cleaned up. This says draw near to God first, and he will draw near to you. And then this process of transformation takes place. Cleansing of our hands and purifying our minds. I don't know, church. 
but that needs to be a lot more evident in my life, and I hope it is an encouragement to you today that as we draw near, as we lean into Jesus, it says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. He doesn't smack us around. He wants the best for us and change for us, that he stoops down to our level and and lifts us up. Jesus is there, and he's ready to help, and he wants to remove the broken glass within our hearts. He's the only one who can provide that pure soil to replace it for that play place. He's the only one who can provide the purity that we need within our hearts and in our minds. So instead of just walking by and picking up the sins that keep protruding out of the ground, like let's allow God to come into our heart and change us and give us the rest that we so desperately need. So Jesus calls us to look up, slow down, lean in, and lastly, this. He says, live out. Rested and restored. I mean, this is, this is a promise that God gives us, and it's, it's one we need and have to take a hold of. And in verse 30, he says, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, many of us in here, if we look at that yoke, we go, that means work. That is not fun. The yoke, don't really like it. And on top of that, what is Jesus promising here? Is he promising that life is going to be easy now? We know that's not true. Because Jesus says, in this world, you experience hardship. But he also says this, but take heart, I have overcome what? The world. Jesus has overcome the world. That same God who said, you experience hardship, also says, my yoke is easy. What I learned about that word easy is that it means well-fitting. Easy means well-fitting. In one of the commentaries that I was reading, he brought up a legend. So I don't know if this is true or not, so I kind of debated about sharing it. But this legend was that there was once a time when a carpenter in Nazareth was one of the best yoke makers like, in the area, where people would come from far and wide to come and have their yokes made by this carpenter in Nazareth. Remember where Jesus was from? Nazareth before he started his ministry. I don't know if this is true or not as far as that goes. But the reason why they would bring their yokes to Jesus for him to carve them, theoretically, is that it would be custom carved for that ox so that it didn't rub them, it didn't chive them, it made it well-fitting for them to be able to do the work that the farmer had for them. Again, I don't know if this is true or not. But Jesus is saying that my yoke, my teaching, my path is well-fitting. It's, it's custom for you. This immediately made me think of Ephesians 2.10, and I use this verse a lot, maybe too much, but we go to it anyway. <laughs> for we are his what? Workmanship. Jesus isn't just a carpenter from Nazareth. He is now a, a worker of my soul. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has customized good for you and I to take part in, and we can't do it if we don't rest in him, if we're not rested and restored. But he has custom designed that for us. I just love the fact that we are his masterpiece and that he takes care in designing the future for us. 
So with that, I want to talk about the power of rest. Let's imagine the implication of what Jesus was talking about here with soul rest. Let's just imagine what this looks like. But before I do that, I want to share a story. Growing up as a teenager, I did some skiing. I learned how to ski as a teenager, and in high school did a bunch of skiing. But then after high school, for whatever reason, I didn't do skiing. For 15 years, I didn't do skiing. Two years ago, I picked up the skis again with Pastor Mike, and we decided, yeah, let's go skiing, which was kind of scary at first because it's like it's been 15 years. Do I remember how to ski? I remembered. It was cool. It was kind of like riding a bike, and so was falling. <laughs> I fell once, all right, got it out of my system, and I was good the rest of the day. I was fine. But the one thing that I forgot about skiing, if you don't do it for 15 years, there's muscles that you use that you don't use every day. <laughs> And for the next week and a half, maybe two weeks, I'm walking around like this. (laughs) I'm a little sore. When you practice some of these principles that Jesus had brought to us to rest in him, to look up, to slow down, to lean in, to live out, it might be uncomfortable for you. But just like skiing, the more you do it, the less you fall, the more you enjoy it, the more those muscles get toned and you don't hurt anymore long as somebody doesn't careen into your path. You can't control that, all right? But let's look at this. What does it look like? What could it look like? If we look up and worship to a holy God, for one, it's accepting the gospel. If you have never accepted Christ before, if you're looking for rest any other place, you're not going to find it. It's only going to be temporary rest. It's not going to be God's rest. But if you accepted the gospel and the gospel has become bland to you, Remember who you were and allow your heart to be pricked by just the generosity of grace and Jesus and what he has done for you. And the other thing is, is as we look up for Sunday, as we prepare to come together and look up and worship a holy God, which, by the way, these songs this, past, this morning were just amazing. Like, drawing us into the heart of God is just beautiful. But we need to do this as well. We need to prepare our hearts Saturday night for Sunday morning. We need to think about how we are entering into this place. If we're up all night long Saturday night, we're going to miss out on maybe what God has for us Sunday morning. The next part, to slow down, to see the finished work of God. Make time with Jesus holy. Set it apart. Do something special with God intentionally, on purpose. And then ask yourself, what needs to stop? What good things am I saying yes to and I'm missing out on the best thing? Then lean in, draw near to Jesus. Have a posture to learn from God, not just learn about God. And I would encourage you to do this too, is to journal when you see God sightings. We have people all over the world that journal and try and find all of these UFOs or Sasquatch or whatever, and we have opportunities to have God sightings when we lean in. And we need to remember those God sightings and what God has done for us. It it encourages our soul. It reminds us of his involvement in our life, that we are indeed his masterpieces, and he's working on us. But then live it out, rested and restored. Ask questions like this. What work, what customized work does God have for me to do this week. And then I encourage you to do this. Don't do the ministry for God. Listen, listen up. Do ministry from God. 
because when we come to God's word, we recognize God doesn't need us, right? He wants us. But if we're trying to do it out of our own power and strength, we're going to get burnt out. But if we're doing ministry and loving on people and living our everyday lives, encouraging one another from God, what we've learned from God and rested in God, then that is when we are rested and also be able to rejuvenate others. So with that, I'd like to invite the praise team forward. I would like to invite um, the prayer team forward. And as we close in prayer, I invite you to take this time to ask God what needs to change. Do I need rest? Do I need soul rest today? So let me pray over us as we close. God, as we wrap up what we've learned today from your word, just these three verses, God, Lord, how important it is to come to you, the one who cares about our life, the one who cares about our soul, the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would seek your face today, that we would look up, that we would slow down, that we would lean in, and be able to live out our lives rested, restored, rejuvenated. This life is not easy. It's not void of hardships and trials, God. But it is full of you. And God, you can empower us to live this life, to walk this path, to do what you have created in us to do, And I pray, God, that we would do it all for your honor and glory. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.